When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holler at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. What are you guys being asked to do that you're only being asked to do because you're, because you're Black? What type of things are being associated with you because only because you're Black? In addition to respectability, the thing that stands out to me, the thing that, that um, it really hurts me, is the systematic issues that exist in the workplace, in schools, in politics. The systematic problems that exist that are, I guess, sort of limiting the roles, sort of the potential that African-American women can have on our world. Because I wonder how many other Black women are, are going into work every day and are being relegated to doing minute tasks. And so I really can't wait to see the full potential of Black women realize. Because what I can tell you is that Black women were not put here to make copies, to make coffee, to sign papers all day. Black women are here to change the world. And I cannot wait to see what happens when we open the floodgates and the full potential of African-American women is realized because then their impact on the world will be truly transformative. Transformative, 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 transformative. Welcome to Wow Black, a seriously opinionated podcast bringing you the real and raw on anything happening while black. If black culture's there, we're there. If you're pissed or empowered, then let's talk about it. Ride with us on this all black everything. Everybody, welcome back to Wild Black and happy Black History Month. You should know my voice by now, but if you're a new listener, I'm Vince and I'm a co-host on Wild Black. Art, the other co-host, he's not here right now because Black History Month is special. And even though we celebrate Black History Month all the time here, you know that during February, we seek to overachieve. You want to show out. Last year, we brought you Black Futures Month, giving you a glimpse at the amazing youth up next. But this year, we're bringing you something equally as special. This year, we're connecting you to powerful words from our history and demonstrating their relevance against the backdrop of today. And we're doing it with an amazing group of youth, influencers, and even legends. More on that as the weeks pass. Our past leaders were truly amazing and inspirational, and we're made better today by the words and lessons they laid out for us yesterday. Our intention here is to spark conversation and inspire thought, supporting us as we continue the fight against racism and oppression and for social justice. To bring this to light, we're partnering with the amazing young adults of the Harvard Debate Council Diversity Project for the first two episodes. And for the last few, we're partnering with a few names that you'll be very familiar with. You're going to have to wait till those episodes drop to learn who they are. But stay tuned and don't miss, because I promise it will be special. Today, get ready, because college freshmen Peyton and Xavier, whom you should remember from Black Futures Month last year, plus high school freshman Naima, lead us through the words and a conversation about Sojourner Truth's famous abolitionist and women's rights speech, Ain't I a Woman? Peyton is already poised and ready to deliver these powerful words to us. But before I hand the mic off to her, allow me to provide a little context and lay out the scene. 
Born into slavery in the year 1797 was Isabella Baumfrey. You may know her as Sojourner Truth, a name eventually destined to become one of the most powerful advocates for human rights in the 19th century. As did every other enslaved person, Isabella experienced the misery and hardship of enslaved life. She was beaten, sold. She was forced to live life but not control her own life. She found love but wasn't able to follow love because those who controlled her day had other plans for her. As opposed to marrying the man she loved, a fellow enslaved man by the name of Robert, Isabella was forced to marry Thomas, with whom she eventually bore five children. In 1827, Isabella ran away after her master failed to honor his promise to free her or uphold the New York anti-slavery law of 1827. Years later, she would have the opportunity to inform her master that, quote, I did not run away. I walked away by daylight. Moving forward to 1843, after a religious experience, Isabella shed the name she had been born with and adopted the moniker Sojourner Truth and became heavily involved in the growing anti-slavery movement. By the 1850s, she had grown to a figure who represented both the anti-slavery movement and the women's rights movement. At the 1851 Women's Rights Convention held in Akron, Ohio, Sojourner Truth delivered what is now recognized as one of the most famous abolitionist and women's rights speeches in American history, Ain't I a Woman? She continued to speak out for the rights of African Americans and women during and after the Civil War. Sojourner Truth died in Battle Creek, Michigan in 1883. During this conversation, Peyton, Xavier, and Naima, who again is only a freshman in high school, meandered through many important topics and conversations that this speech inspires. Enough from me. Let's jump to Peyton, who's ready to deliver these inspirational words from Sojourner Truth's powerful speech, Ain't I a Woman? Peyton, the floor is yours. Well, children, where there is so much racket, there must be something out of kilter. I think that twixt the Negroes of the South and the women of the North all talking about rights, the white men will be in a fix pretty soon. But what's all this here talking about? That man over there says that women need to be helped into carriages and lifted over ditches and to have the best place everywhere. Nobody ever helps me into carriages or over mud puddles or gives me any best place. An AI woman? Look at me. Look at my arm. I've plowed and planted and gathered into barns, and no man could head me. And ain't I a woman? I could work as much and eat as much as a man when I could get it, and bear the lash as well, and ain't I a woman? I have borne 13 children and seen most all sold off to slavery, and when I cried out with my mother's grief, none but Jesus heard me. And ain't I a woman? Then they talk about this thing in the head. What's this they call it? Intellect. What's that got to do with women's rights or Negroes' rights? If my cup won't hold but a pint and yours holds a quart, wouldn't you be mean not to let me have my little measure full? Then that man in black there, he says women can't have as much rights as men because Christ wasn't a woman. Where does your Christ come from? From God and a woman. Man had nothing to do with him. If the first woman God ever made was strong enough to turn the world upside down all alone. These women together ought to be able to turn it back and get it right side up again. And now they are asking to do it, and the men better let them. So I think today, you know, with 
the relevance of having a, our first Black uh, vice president, our first Black female vice president, I want to talk about the power and the strength of Black women and how it is simultaneously underestimated and villainized. I definitely think that everything that Sojourner Truth said in her A&I Women's speech directly applies to the state of our nation today. When we look at how long it actually took for us to have a Black female vice president, like the fact that it took us this long to make that, that much progress, I think that says a lot about America. And I think it also says a lot about how they've chosen to characterize Black women. Throughout history, people have mistaken the power and resilience and the strength of that Black woman and chosen to characterize that instead as aggression and violence. And they've, they've chosen to kind of separate their Blackness from their womanhood and twist it into their own kind of narrative of making Black women out to be aggressive and making them out to be less feminine and less of a woman. Why is it that the Blackness of a woman is what makes her deemed as aggressive? And that's what I think is so interesting about uh, the Anna a Woman speech, right? Because she kind of talks about this duality that I feel that all Black women experience. She's talking about how She's able to bear the whip like a man and can eat as much as a man and work as hard as a man. And so women are very capable. But on the other hand, she sees the the luxuries, if you can call them that, of womanhood, of being a woman and, and getting those rights because you're docile and meek and a caretaker. And she feels like she doesn't fill that role. She's vacillating between I should be included because I can do as much as anybody else. But also I want to be treated like a woman is treated in this in this day and age. And I think we still experience that today. I think we have to remember that all of the, the stereotypes and the misperceptions that we have today, it goes back to 1619 when they, when they brought the first slaves over to America. All these misperceptions are the result of the constant dehumanization of African-American people. And you know, we, we talk about progress and where we've come, but a lot of the, those same ideas are still present in America today. I think it speaks to the issue of systematic inequalities because you have uh, stereotypes going generation over generation over generation, and then you end up all the way in 2020 when African-American women can't even celebrate a victory because you're trying uh, to denounce her in, in, in a certain way. And so I think that's something we should also consider is just how far. At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting Black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Back this problem really goes. And it's unfortunate that, you know, we could, we could even get a, a first female black president. And I'm not even sure people would be satisfied then. I think that personally, I think one of the most human things is 
bringing life into this world. It's so crazy how society has found a way to somehow strip strip parts of Black women's humanity away from them when they're literally mothers, sisters, and daughters. And they're responsible for bringing generations of beautiful Black people into this world. And I just, it, it's so frustrating how throughout history, they've, society has chosen to kind of overlook that part of Black womanhood and chosen to only shed light on characterizing them as aggressive and taking away the, the more nurturing and motherly side that is innately what defines Black women. And, and you can see that. She says, I bore 13 children and they were all taken away from me. And you can see just in that one line how thoroughly Black people were treated like cattle, right? Like when a cow has a baby and you take the baby away, no one thinks twice. And it's interesting that Sojourner Truth was treated that way. A Black woman was treated similar to a cow, to cattle. I want to kind of go back to, uh, we were talking about Kamala Harris and, and all that she's done. And what I think is so interesting, and I want to hear you guys' thoughts on it, is the way people will say a woman isn't fit for office, right? A woman could never hold office. She'll start a war, even though all wars are start, started by men. But they're also simultaneously, very obviously threatened by having a woman in office. Because if a woman was going to be so docile, wouldn't that be what they wanted? I agree. I think people are still angry because the truth contradicts the, the lie that they want to live, right? Whenever we see an African-American woman succeeding, they're like, I don't want to believe that. And they just have, they're in this constant state of denial. Um, and once again, I think it speaks to these longer systematic biases that exist within so many institutions in our, in our world, whether it be in the workplace, whether it be in government, even in schools. Um, a lot of these biases do exist. I mean, it's just because like they don't want to accept it. The question that I would pose to you guys is, how does that make you feel whenever someone attempts to, I guess, invalidate where you are, being that you both are amazing individuals? I feel like I have a kind of interesting perspective on this because this is something like I, I, I'm very young, right? You guys are both freshmen in college. You've completed high school. You obviously have a lot more life experiences than me. I'm entering high school like in the middle of a global pandemic. And this is kind of like my first time like stepping out into the world, like living away from home, all of these things. And yet at the young age of 15, I've already had so many experiences where I'm in situations where people already assume that they know everything about me, where people look at me when I enter a room and they're like, oh, she here she comes. She's going to be angry. She's there's an angry black woman. She's loud. All these stereotypes being put to my name, I'm already being categorized and labeled in a room full of people that I've never met and don't truly know who I am. And I just think that it's so crazy that I've only been on this earth for 15 years, yet somehow people that I've never even had real conversations with assume that they know everything about me and already think that they understand who I am as an individual just because of what in their mind, they've defined a Black woman as, regardless of whether or not they truly know that person as an individual. That was so beautifully said, Naima. And it kind of reminded me of the joy I feel when Black women are well-received. Do you guys remember <laughs> when Joe first won the presidency and everyone was mocking? <laughs> they were mocking Kamala for saying, we did it, Joe. You're going to be the next president of the United States. I just love it. I love seeing her being embraced by the community. It's so heartwarming um, because what we see in day-to-day -day life doesn't look like that all the time. 
I concur. I, I share that same sense of, I was ecstatic when I was watching that video because it was a very funny video. I think it just encapsulates what it means when Black people win um, and how we were all able to like, I guess like share a part of her victory. Um, and I think it speaks to like what happens when, when people trailblaze, especially when African-American women trailblaze, it's kind of a victory for all of us. And it, it did feel really good. <laughs> what I like about Ain't I a Woman is she kind of talks about this need for having two conversations at once, right? So she says, like, betwixt the Black Negroes and women fighting for rights, that, you know, there's a lot going on. And I think we feel that right now. Black Lives Matter happened, and then right after, Trump got out of office, and now we have a Black vice president. Um, And I think that there's a need to talk about two conversations at once, and that it's possible. And I think that she proves that. But what do you guys think about having two movements going on at the same time? How do you think that's affecting Black people? You know, when you have two movements at the same time, oftentimes one seems to be overlooked. And an example of this is when you look at like the struggle of Black women, their struggle is like, I feel like only looked at from one perspective. And the fact that they're not only struggling with being Black in America, but also struggling with being a Black woman in America, I feel like the second part of that is overlooked. And in history, it's kind of just like generalized with the rest of the Black struggle and not looked at as its own separate entity of the struggle of womanhood. And I think that that same kind of mentality can be applied to like when we have two very prevalent movements happening at the same time, because one is going to get more attention. And I feel like in history, the other will be overlooked. And at the end of the day, I think that's only like telling like one side of a struggle or one side of a narrative which isn't, isn't really giving the full story, which I don't think is re- truly representative of progress. It's such an interesting paradigm because, you know, you, you want to make sure that progress is always occurring, right? And I believe that slow progress is better than no progress. But then you also want to make sure that that progress is getting recognized and the people who are part of that movement is getting recognized and the people's feelings are getting recognized. And so when you have two dueling um, ideas or two dueling um, movements, you know, I would consider what happened over the summer, I would consider that a, on a whole nother level than electing the first uh, African-American vice president. Those are two dueling things. And so I think that the question that we have to ask ourselves as people is just, um, do we want to try to find a, a balance between the two? How can we get those two to be intertwined? Uh, but it, it is indeed, it's an interesting paradigm to have to deal with. And I think we talked about this a little bit in the last podcast, but having simultaneous conversations. Um, I was taking an African-American studies class in dual enrollment at Georgia State. And we were reading about this um, this Black man who was killed um, by a police officer, of course, police brutality. And people had gone through his Twitter account and he had said that he didn't want a Black woman that was as Black as an Xbox. And people immediately, stopped campaigning for him because of his disrespect of Black women. I think there's room to have conversations about the way that Black men are targeted and killed, and also room for the way that the Black community villainizes Black women just as much as anybody else, and the way that we need respect just as much as everybody else. I think there's room for both. I I completely agree, because people did, or they kind of tried to do the same thing with Kamala Harris, talking about her history as, you know, attorney general in California and what she did as a prosecutor out there. So oh, she locked this many people up. She was smoking weed. So therefore, we shouldn't support her as vice president. You know, I, I think we need to find a, a duality. Like there should always be room for critique and there should always be room for uplifting. We see it in, in our classroom in the Hard Diversity Project. 
we're going to uplift you, but you best believe we're going to point out what you did wrong. I definitely agree. I think that the Black community itself, like, when when one of us, like, makes it, when one of us is, like, in the spotlight, it's, like, all eyes are on them. And I think that some people go out of their way to find criticism of them or, like, find their faults. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't necessarily, like, be held accountable for the mistakes of their past. But if you're only looking for ways to criticize them and hold that against them, that's, like, how that toxic cancel culture starts. And I think that the more... Um, I guess, effective approach to criticism would be for us as a community to not necessarily ignore what people have done in the past or ignore where they've been wrong. You should definitely acknowledge that and hold them accountable, but that shouldn't stop you from supporting them in the future. If every single Black person is coming out just to find things and reasons not to support them, we're never really going to have a true leader for our community. I feel like the other side of that is it can be scary to critique um, Black people in power on what they're doing in their policies, right? Sometimes there, there's a group of Black people, I feel like a group of people that, are, that do it very easily. But in my experience, I'm afraid to say anything bad about Kamala Harris because I feel like the one represents the whole. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, if a Black man was shot by the police and he said something negative about Black, black women, I kind of am reluctant to talk about that. Because I feel like what it will do is say, well, there you go, you know, so we can't advocate for him anymore. So I think as a black person, it's scary to want to have two conversations or to critique anybody because you feel like it'll give way to the opposite side to not help your your cause. I definitely agree, because I feel like when when black people are critical of other black people, I feel like the media takes that and they run with it and they use that one person and their mistakes to kind of define everyone else. And that's one thing that's so frustrating to me, how people love to just generalize Black people as an entire community. And they fail to recognize how much diversity is within the Black community itself. And of course, I'm not talking about racial diversity. At the end of the day, like we're all Black. I'm talking about like the diversity in terms of like life experiences, upbringings, cultures, personalities. And the way that I guess society has kind of just decided to define all Black people as like under this single definition. It's so frustrating to me because that's it it completely is masking our community's individuality. And I get like Peyton, what you were saying about being scared to be critical of people like Kamala Harris and critical of victims of police brutality, because then that becomes the narrative for everyone. When in reality, everyone's story is different. And so my question to you guys is like, how do you think we get past this whole mentality of just categorizing the Black community as a whole? Because I think that if we continue to be scared to criticize each other, we're never truly going to get anywhere. But if every time we are critical of someone, that becomes like the, the criticism for the entire community as a whole, then we're back to point A. So what do you think, like, what, what are the steps we take to start to, I guess, dismantle that whole mentality that everyone has developed around the Black community? For me, it's the idea that Black people and Black women in particular are allowed to make mistakes. Um, And I think that in the Black community, we don't make room for that a lot of the time. Um, I remember I remember I was in college and I'm I'm in a posse. I'm just like a scholarship program at school. I just wanted everyone to be friends and I was working on school and I was just getting really stressed out. My mom said, take your cape off um, because there's something called super woman syndrome, um, where Black women just feel the need to save the day. 
And I don't know whether that stems from slavery, where the Black women had to be the matriarch or whatever it is. Black women feel like they are not allowed to have space for themselves or room to make mistakes. And I feel like we spent four years with a president that made mistakes, right? And he got to go through his entire, his entire four years. Um, I think Black people should be allowed that same grace. Kamala Harris should be allowed that same grace. I take a bit of a, a different approach from Peyton. So I'm a put my cape on type of guy. Um, and so no matter what room I'm in, I'm always going to call someone out if they do something wrong or do something that is racist or they do something that shouldn't be said. I'm always going to call somebody out. So I'm always trying to put my cape on. I'm always trying to rise to the occasion. I'm always trying to, I uh, guess, to, to show people up. I go to a predominantly white university. Most of my classes, I'm the only black guy in there. My role is to redefine what these people think of when they think of a black man. Will it work? I don't know. But I do know that all I can do is my part. And I try to do that every time I speak and every time that I, that I call it on in class. There's a, a saying by Aristotle, and he says that there's only one way to avoid criticism, and that's to do nothing, say nothing, and really be nothing. So in essence, to take Aristotle and apply it to today, the only way we can avoid criticism, especially from, from other groups of people, is to literally do nothing. And so I think we have to acknowledge that no matter what we do, right, we're going, there are going to be people who try to take us down. Um, and so I think while I do like to put my cape on, I think at simultaneously, I'm going to be acknowledging that people aren't probably going to like what I say. People aren't going to like when I call them out. People aren't going to like when I keep pressing on about a point that's probably not as relevant. Um, but I have to understand that no matter what I do, I'm going to be critiqued. So if I'm going to be critiqued no matter what, why not go out there and give it my all? I was just going to say really quickly, I wanted to talk about when you were saying um, when you're in predominantly white spaces, you like, you know, trying to redefine what they see as black. And that's something that I, there are so many instances where I've struggled with that. I'll find myself in an environment where I recognize I'm the only person of color there, the only black person there. And I'm surrounded by people who have this idea of blackness, what it means to be black, that's not me. And there are so many times where I find myself in that, in instances like that. And I find myself separating myself from my blackness. And what I mean by that is I kind of, internally develop this mentality that I need to isolate myself from their definition of what it means to be Black. And every time I recognize myself doing that, I, I cringe. I cringe at the fact that in that situation, I don't want to, I don't want them to view me as what they see as Black. Like, why is it? Why have I developed a mentality where I'm associating, where, where I feel the need to separate myself from my Blackness when at the end of the day, that's who I am. I am a 15-year-old Black girl. So why am I trying to force myself to, to separate myself from, from who I am, from how I identify? And I, I don't know. I feel like that's always been like a personal struggle of mine. And it's something that I always am so irritated with myself about because I don't want to do that. I, I don't want to not be proud to be Black in certain spaces. It's just, I don't want, I don't want to be defined by, by, by someone else's definition of what they've gained from, from not like, I don't, basically what I'm trying to say is, I just hate when people define me without even like truly knowing me. I'm so glad you brought that up because I go to a predominantly white institution as well. And my biggest fear I just didn't want to be token, whatever that may be. Um, but I had an experience at college. Uh, it was this history class I was taking. 
And basically, to sum it up, they were talking about the health system in America and how they thoroughly trust the health system in America, um, how it's the base system, and, and they don't even think twice before going to the hospital. And something in me just made me say, I don't, though. From my perspective as a Black woman, I'm terrified of the hospital. I don't want to have children because of the hospital. I don't want to, the Tuskegee experiment makes me not even want to get the corona vaccine and I want this to be over. <laughs> so I think all that what we're talking about is like the complexity of the Black experience. I need to put my cape on to prove that I'm more than what you say I am. But I also need to take a break and take my cape off. I don't want you to think of me as the Black woman in class, but you need to know my perspective. Um, and I think that's what, once again, Sojourner Truth was talking about. I, I am as strong as a man, but I shouldn't have to be, right? Like, so it, we always try to put ourselves in a box. And I think if we can understand there's room for all things, all perspectives, the Black community would be a lot happier. Yeah, the, the motto of the Our Diversity Project is that scholarship means culture. And that's something that I try to strike when I'm at, when I'm, whenever I'm in these type of situations, right? So, of course, I want to be defying the odds. Yeah, I grew up in College Park, but I can still do this. But I also want to stay true to who I am. I still want to maintain my culture. Right? I still want to listen to music that I want to listen to and dress how I want to dress. And so, like Payne said, there's room for everything, but different, different Black people have different ways of portraying themselves when they're out in the world. And I really don't think it's a one-size-fits-all uh, solution to, to navigating um, white spaces as, as African-American people. I kind of wanted to speak on what you were saying about, you know, how Black people choose to navigate themselves, like, in situations where they recognize, like, they're, they're the only Black person there. They're, they're in a room full of white people. Like, how, how, how do I go about this? And I think that that kind of speaks to code switching. And I remember the first time that someone talked to me about code switching. I think I was like, maybe 10 or 11, probably 12, because it was sixth grade. And when they told me what it was, I was like, oh, this is something I've been doing my whole life. I guess I just realized like that that was naturally something that I, I'd grown accustomed to. And so I was code switching before I even knew what it was. And I personally, I, I have mixed emotions about that because it, it kind of bothers me that without even being taught it, I internally started making decisions where I realized this is how I should carry myself in this environment versus I versus how I can carry myself in another environment, depending on like who I'm with, like, you know, whether I'm like in a room full of white people or whether I'm in a room full of black people. And I think that this is just something that I guess universally black, black people have kind of internally just started to naturally make this decision of how to code switch. And it's gotten to the point where we don't even have to teach our kids about it anymore. They just, they just kind of pick up on it. And the reason that I have mixed feelings about it is because why is it that we're making these internal decisions to hide our blackness here, but show it here? And I, like I was saying earlier, I really, I, I can't tell if that's like a good thing or a bad thing. And I just like want to hear you guys' thoughts on it because this is something that I've always had mixed emotions about. And Naima, I feel like it's what we've been talking about this whole time, right? From, from code switching to taking off the cape to trying to manage two conversations slash movements that are happening simultaneously. What I think Black people run into is being Black is inescapable. It's inescapable. Whenever you enter, enter a room, your entire life, you're always Black. And you have to push between, because even when you're code switching, even when you're trying to be something you're not, people still know that you're Black. Um, and so I think We've addressed all these conversations that Black people struggle with. Who should I be versus who am I? Um, 
And I hope that we offered you guys some perspective. But speaking of perspective, Xavier, I want to hear your perspective on this conversation as a Black man. Yeah, so this is interesting because I think oftentimes Black men have these conversations and they 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 only consider their point of view where they, they don't ask the perspectives of Black women. They, they talk about the experiences of Black women, but they don't have uh, Black women in the actual conversation. So that's why I really enjoy being a part of this conversation. But I think it ultimately comes down to respectability. Personally, I believe that I don't, no matter what, you should respect somebody. There shouldn't be any qualifiers uh, for respect. And one of the, the most toxic phrases that I've heard from, from, black men, from Black men is that, oh, I've got a Black daughter, so therefore I know how to respect Black women. Or I'm married to a Black woman, so I know how to respect. You know, and, and, and they, they add these qualifiers for why we should be respecting Black women. And my thing is, what do you mean? There shouldn't be any qualifier. Respect them no matter what. Because they're obviously doing amazing things. They've done so many transformative things for, for our race and even for our society. So no matter what, they should be respected. And I think the fact that we as Black men, we keep looking for qualifiers as to why we should respect Black women, it, it, sort, of, it, it sort of exposes like how we contribute to the problem. How we contribute to the problem of not uplifting the other people who look like us. And so I think that's the first place to start. And that's my, my biggest takeaway I would give to the audience is just respect people no matter what, especially Black women. Stop trying to give qualifiers to everything and, and stop trying to, to rationalize things when all you have to do is just be aware of who's around you. If you're a Black woman, you respect her no matter what. Uh, and, and so that's that's the, the biggest thing that I want to hit on. But additionally, I, I wanted to say, I'm at a PWI. My mom went to two HBCUs. And right now she's back in Atlanta and she goes to work every day. And so the as a black man, she would always come home, as a child rather, she would always come home and talk about her experiences, uh, what she would go through at work. And she's been there for about 10, 10, 12 years. And I don't mean to expose, mommy, you're listening, I don't mean to expose your whole career, but she's been there for about 10 years. And every day she comes home and she tells these stories about how all the trivial tasks they make her do. Right? She has two degrees, amazing individual, and I'm not biased, I'm not trying to be biased. She has she's done all these amazing things. But she always comes home and she always says how she's always assigned to do trivial things when she has a relatively high administrative position at her company. And so the, the thing that that is really, I guess, it's been it's been nagging me for a very long time is what sort of unconscious biases exist in the world that I'm not even experiencing that black people that black women are experiencing. What are you guys being asked to do that you're only being asked to do because you're because you're black? What type of things are being associated with you because only because you're black? And so I, I think so. In addition to respectability, the thing that stands out to me, the thing that that um, it really hurts me, is the systematic issues that exist in the workplace, in schools, in politics. The systematic problems that exist that are, I guess, sort of limiting the roles, or the, the sort of the potential that African American women can have on our world. Because I wonder how many other Black women are, are going into work every day and are being just relegated to doing minute tasks. And so and it's looking towards the future now. And so I really can't wait to see the full potential of Black women realize. Because what I can tell you is that Black women were not put here to make copies, to make coffee, to sign papers all day. Black women are here to change the world. And I cannot wait to see what happens when we open the floodgates and the full potential of African-American women is realized. Because then their impact on the world will be truly transformative. Beautifully, beautifully said, Xavier. And to wrap up, I'd just like to say, what is your favorite thing about life while Black? 
uh, I've been waiting for this one. <laughs> See, um, I, I just think that this question, like, I love it so much. And the, when you asked me this, Peyton, the first thing that came comes to mind is kind of this, um, the, the, the universal, like, unspoken language between Black people. Like, I love how you can be in a space and recognize another Black person in the room and automatically you, you guys have, like, this connection you you don't even have to know their name you don't have to know where they're from it's just that you recognize that they're black they're another person of color and automatically you feel connected you can acknowledge each other each another's presence and i feel like this applies in literally any space when when i see another black person i automatically feel connected to them and it's just something that i think is so beautiful and uh, the other day i was watching the between the world and me documentary based off of tanahasi coates book and a, a part of the movie touched on it and the way that they described it, it it perfectly summed up like what it's like to be a black person and like automatically have that language between other black people and i think that just so before i ramble because i could talk about this all day that's at the end of the day my favorite thing about being black what i hope you took away from this is that we should all observe more critically the burdens we place upon black women black men black people and ourselves um black people are allowed to be imperfect black women are women and deserve more respect than they receive and we should all work together to make those things the status quo. Um, and we all got this from Sojourner Truth. And who knew that words spoken so long ago can still affect and inspire us today? Uh, further proving the ideas that we do in the Harvard Diversity Project, debating, rhetoric, and speaking are incredibly important. Ooh, family. That conversation was... I, I really don't even have the words for it, right? To, to hear... Black youth speak so eloquently about topics that we as adults, and obviously they themselves, really struggle with. It's a powerful moment. Hearing them discuss Ain't I a Woman by Sojourner Truth, applying the, the concepts in that speech to ideologies that we manage through today, was just crazy impactful. I hope from that conversation, you took a lot. I hope that you began to think about your world, the changes that you need to make, the plight of black women in this country, what, what tomorrow looks like for black women and for black men in this country. I hope you think about all that. And I, and I hope you feel energized from the words shared to go out and create a difference, to make sure that you are leveling the playing field wherever you have the opportunity to to make sure that you are pushing for equity and equality, and to make sure that, that you are honestly taking care of the people in your vicinity, in your proximity. Special message to Black men. Listen closely. Xavier talked about the way we sometimes ourselves exclude Black women from the conversation. That's on us. That's something we have to do a better job at. Black women have come to the table, capes on, capes off, and they have saved the day. We just saw a huge example in Georgia twice where black women were responsible for flipping the state blue and changing the direction that this country is headed in. We got to take care of them. We have to protect them. We have to share the burden of the power that they have. We owe them. We've got to do better for them. We've got to do better for ourselves. And we've got to do better for our community. Next week, we're going to talk about 
What to the Slave is the Fourth of July by Frederick Douglass. It will also be led by our HDCVP, Black youth, young adults, and you see how amazing they are. So stay tuned. Come back and check us out again next week. Peace. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holler at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois.